chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we have been uh, advertising and encouraging over the last several months, we uh, this weekend have been blessed in our insight seminar, in our study of the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus that we call Ephesians. And we have been blessed to, to hear the words of Dr. John York, a professor primarily working with preaching and teaching students uh, how to, to convey and to communicate the Word of God at Lipscomb University in Nashville. He is uh, uh, a family man. And having just entered into that station of life where you become a, a grandfather, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But one of the things that has just been so outstanding uh, to sit at John's feet this weekend is uh, it's obvious that he has a brilliant, brilliant mind. But he is also a brilliant, brilliant communicator of, of, of these, these infinite and eternal scriptures that have been given to us. And to not only understand it, but to be able to talk about it in a way that, that creates, that paints, that builds this vision that is bigger than primarily what God is doing in me, but what God is doing in all of the heavens and the earth to put everything to the rights, to bring everything back into relationship with Him, to be able to paint that kind of a picture that, more, that enables you more than anything else in, in this world, to be a part of that vision is a great, great gift. And God is sharing that gift through John this morning as he speaks to us. And so we're going to ask John if you'll come up so we can pray before you speak. And then uh, John York is going to be speaking to us. The, the announcement sheet has uh, a sermon outline in it that you can use. Follow the slides and John as he speaks. Father, you're so loving to us. And we're grateful to be able to call you Father. And to know that you're perfect father in every way to us. And we seek, Father, to be your children in a way that, that, that shows the beauty of, of your gospel and the beauty of your grace in a way that, 
that shows you to be the winsome father to all humanity. And so as we think about this text from Ephesians 4, Father, as we always pray, we ask that you give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it in order for all of us to be changed and transformed and to turn toward you. And we ask you to bless John, to bless this brother and this servant in a way that blesses us this morning to become more deeply enriched in the gospel that we that we have been given. And we are grateful, Father, for this opportunity to hear once again the great things that you are doing in your creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Well, let me say again how, how delighted and honored and humbled I am to be with you, particularly to be here able to look out on all of you at this particular moment. And, and, and it's just when I came up here and looked out, I thought a little bit about this already, but, but in Nashville, we still have a very hard saying, and that is the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And so to look out on you all where that is not the case, where the face of San Antonio is represented by the faces in the room in this particular hour is remarkable. And I, and I, uh, I hope you know what a gift that is. I hope you know how different it is. How it's supposed to be the way we all are. But it's hard to come by, isn't it? Really hard to come by. We find so many ways to separate ourselves from the other. And to see you all together is, is a great gift to me. I've enjoyed working with Ephesians with you all. I'd like to be farther along than, than I am in some of the things that we did yesterday, but that's the way of it sometimes. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll get back to some of the things that I was supposed to do yesterday later this afternoon. So if some of you weren't going to come this afternoon because you think you already missed too much yesterday, uh, maybe not so much, right? There's still time. Um, but some of the things I, I have emphasized, uh, I did again in class this morning, this whole notion that, that Paul believes, not just in this letter, but in all of his letters, that being always precedes doing. That the identity that God has given us in Christ always precedes anything that we are called to be as those ambassadors of Christ in our world and our time. The doing comes out of our identity, not the doing creates our identity. And I think in our tribe, we've struggled with that mightily at times. We've often turned it around and thought it was our doing that produced our being, our doing right things, our doing the right way, our thinking the right way made us be something. And in this text, the being comes first. It's only when you get to the hinge verse, the therefore of 4 verse 1, that there is a swift, a, a, a change rather, from the being to the doing. Now this imploring on Paul's part that we live into this calling that he has given us, that we take up this identity of oneness that has been given us in Christ. So listen again to these opening words of the chapter. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
And listen to all the ones then that that bond of peace, which which he has talked about extensively in chapter 2. The bond of peace is all that Christ has done in breaking down the dividing wall of hostility to bring Jews and Gentiles together into one family, one, one household of God. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That line, make every effort to keep or maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's a great line, isn't it? It suggests that the unity is a part of the indicative. It's a part of the given. And all we're asked to do is what? Don't mess it up, right? And, and yet, that, that has been historically the great problem of the Christian faith. And it starts early. By the time this is written, stuff's already happening to interrupt this bond of peace, to interrupt this unity of the Spirit. Yes, you can go back to the early chapters of Acts and you can find a couple of references there in the early chapters to this great, wonderful unity that they have in Jerusalem. But, but by the time you get to chapter 5, things are already beginning to splinter, aren't they? Because materialism has raised its ugly head. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could just hang on to part of the proceeds and secure their own selves while saying they gave it all. And, and they literally dropped dead because of it. You go another chapter, and it's, it's widows that are not being treated fairly. Some are getting better treatment than others. You go a little bit farther, and this whole Jew-Gentile thing begins to explode, and it's messy for the rest of the New Testament. It's in Galatians, it's in Romans, there's some of it here in Ephesians, back in the second chapter where the Gentiles are trying to figure out whether they really do belong or not. It's a constant in the rest of the New Testament. You move into the second century, and even if they're beginning to get past the Jew-Gentile barrier because now it's almost exclusively a Gentile religion, you still have all kinds of stuff that's beginning to unfold. Heresies, we call them in the second century, whether it's Marcion or Valentinian or some others. And you get through the second century, and then the other controversies begin to arrive. So that by the fourth and fifth centuries, there are huge controversies and huge differences and discrepancies in the church about even the nature of God. How does Father, Son, and Spirit equal one instead of many? Lots of conversation, lots of people going off in different directions. And then, then the big, big divide comes in about 1,000 where East and West split into Catholic, universal church, they called themselves. They want to be for everybody. And then there's the Orthodox, the people who do it right. Right? A complete divide, East and West. Another 500 years, and the West splits. And it, when it splits, it splinters this time, doesn't it? Because the Reformation doesn't just protest Catholicism and break away from it, it then starts protesting itself. So that by the time you get to America, Christian identity is primarily through not being what those people are doing in that church. 
right? All of our democratization of Christianity in America is a volunteer series of organizations where why, why you should come to us is because we do things better or more right than they do over there. And even among churches that talk to each other, and, and by the way, that gets to be a more and more uh, smaller slice of the pie, doesn't it? The churches that talk to each other, the churches that have any relationship with each other, if, if somebody in any given church decides that the way they're doing it here isn't right, this is our, our best church planning strategy is what? Getting mad at somebody else and starting another church across town. Oh, but now we're not just talking about all the rest of those churches. We're just talking about churches of Christ, aren't we? It's been a problem. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. There are things that are suggested even in the text that we're looking at. Particularly once you get to verse 7, where we found ways not to unify. Everything that happens from verse 7 down through verse 16 is his saying, this is how God designed it so that this unity could be lived out. The reason gifts were given were for the sake not just of maintaining this unity, but building on this unity. And yet, we, I, I have found in my own lifetime and in my own ministry experiences, these words actually become not words of unity, but words of division, if they're paid attention to at all. You see, we found out that there's a way to actually take apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and just argue about the words themselves. Which ones still count? Apostle, nah. Prophet, nah. Pastor, well, only for the right people. I mean, you've got to be really careful with that word. Teacher, oh, that's so generic it says almost nothing. Paul goes out of his way to say, pay attention, folks. These gifts are from Christ, the one from above who descended all the way down here and then ascended again. These gifts matter because they're from God who became flesh and dwelt among us. They matter because they're all designed for the sake of helping other people become enfolded into the community. They matter because whether it's the one sent the prophets or the mouthpieces of God, excuse me, the one sent the apostles, the mouthpieces, the prophets, the pastors, the shepherd people, the people who are caring for, the teachers, the people who are doing some nuts and bolts things, whoever they are, it's all serving one particular purpose, which is equipping all the saints, all of the people who have claimed Jesus as Messiah, all the people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's a way of claiming all of them in this one body of Christ. Growing us up into this fullness, this completeness of Christ. Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? One of the, uh, one of the books that, that I use for my graduate class one of my graduate classes in ministry is a, is a book called Christianity Rediscovered. And it's a fascinating book. It, it was written probably 20 or 25 years ago now by a, a, a Catholic priest named Vincent Donovan. 
Uh, and before you get excited about me quoting from a Catholic priest, listen to what he was asked to do. He was sent by the church to Tanzania to evangelize the Maasai tribe. And at that point in time, the Maasai were, were infamous among all religious groups for wanting nothing to do with Christianity. And he goes there, and the Catholic Church has already been there for decades, and they've, built their, they've done exactly what they did in Europe and what they did in America and Latin America and all that. You go in, and the first thing you do is you build the place of worship. And then you build the place for the priest to live. And then you expect them to come. Like the rest of us, if we build it, they will come, the general Western strategy for creating church. Right? He gets there, and he quickly discovers that that's actually not helpful at all. That it's created an, an otherness for them that, that actually completely removes them from the people, and they have almost no association with the people. The villagers won't have anything to do with them. He also realizes very quickly that everything he learned that he was supposed to do in the name of evangelism is a waste of time with those people. Um, he thought, he was taught that the way you go about these kinds of things is you, you strategize on the particular group of people that you'll slice off and work with first. Whether it's if we get the leaders, then we'll get the rest of them. Or, one of our favorites, if we get the children, we'll get the parents. Right? If we, if we can just figure out where the power structures lie, then we can get the power people and that'll get the rest. Right? And, and he's discovered that none of that works. And so finally, he hits upon a completely different strategy. You'll be shocked by this one. You know what he decides to do? He decides to pick five villages and spend a whole day just going to that village and doing nothing but telling Jesus stories all day long. And at first... He doesn't get much of a hearing, but then he figures out that when the tribe leader, when the village clan leaders will listen, everyone else will listen too. And only when he starts speaking and the whole village comes together to hear do things begin to change. And he says it's remarkable how they become these open, listening ears, wanting to hear every week the Jesus stories that he will tell next. And it goes so well that in one particular village, he finally gets to the point where he believes baptism is in order. And that's where it gets really interesting. So let me just read this to you. He says, So I stood in front of the assembled community and began... This old man sitting here has missed too many of our instruction meetings. He was always out herding cattle. He will not be baptized with the rest. Those two on this side will be baptized because they've always attended and understood very well what we talked about. So did this young mother. She will be baptized. But that man there has obviously not understood the instructions. And that lady there has scarcely believed the gospel. They cannot be baptized. And that warrior there has not shown enough effort. We know how this goes, right? And then he goes on. The old man, Dangoya, who's the tribal chief, 
The old man, Dangoya, stopped me politely but firmly. Padre, why are you trying to break us up and separate us? During the whole year that you've been teaching us, we've talked about these things when you were not here, at night, around the fire. Yes, there, there have been lazy ones in this community, but they have been helped by those with much energy. There are stupid ones in the community, but they've been helped by those who are intelligent. Yes, there are ones with little faith in the village, but they have been helped by those with much faith. Would you turn out and drive off the lazy ones and the ones with little faith and the stupid ones? From the first day I have spoken for these people and I speak for them now. Now on this day, one year later, I can declare for them and all of this community that we have reached the step in our lives where we can say, we believe. Now, on the one hand, that is so obviously different, right? This is a community that already has community identity to the point that when he comes along and saying, well, now you're in, but you're out. He's actually anti-gospel at that point. Because gospel says, all are invited. And what they're invited to is a community where we believe because everyone is important. It doesn't matter what the IQ is. It doesn't matter what the physical capacities are. It doesn't matter because we believe because everyone is invited and everyone is included. And that, that is the image that you have here of this body with many parts, isn't it? The whole point is to include everybody so that there's no more inferior and superior. There are, are no more power lines and plays where some people get it and some people don't and only the ones who get it are in and only the people who don't get it can be dismissed. There is no more category called other. That's the way you start living into this unity. That's the way in which the gifts which create difference not for the sake of elevating the different, but for the sake of everybody becoming a part of the whole. Did you get the line in there? The only reason you had those people in the first place was so that everybody could be what? Equipped for ministry. Everyone. Not so you can hire the professional staff and get on with your life, but so the professional staff can be a part of the equipping so that we all are what? the living body of Christ. We all are the ones that are out there. Pay attention to the last verses which, I, which weren't read well ago, those verses uh, 14 and following. He says, We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. I realized one day that I actually prefer being a child. As long as I can get blown around and spend all of my life arguing with other people about doctrine, I don't have to go do anything else. Did you know as a professor you can make a career out of this? <laughs> how different, how different to say, 
Don't, don't get lost in the margins. Don't get lost in the things that so easily distract. Truth, yeah, absolutely. Truth is important because truth, truth in this story happens to be a person. Speaking the truth in love has to do with the eyes, the recreated eyes of Jesus, the Holy Spirit implanted, empowered people of God living relationally with one another in community so that when equipped for ministry, we go forth to change the world. I've heard that slogan somewhere, right? I've heard that phrase. So imagine... Imagine the Maasai tribe in Dangoya and a community in which we believe. How, how would even this wonderfully diversified audience be changed and change the world if equipped for ministry to be this fullness of the body of Christ? How will the world be changed? Let's pray. Oh God, you who are always faithful, you who have breathed us into life from the beginning of creation and then breathed afresh your Holy Spirit presence into us through your Son and his death and his resurrection and the transformation of all creation so that we might participate now in your fullness, so that we might be invited into community and wholeness and life and father our, our our pleas for forgiveness and our apologies often ring empty because we 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 sometimes enjoy poor health we sometimes prefer to remain children And so, Father, we ask that you would do your work in us afresh. That we would experiencing the empowering presence of your Spirit afresh. That we would sense the relational bonds that tie us to one another afresh. That we would have eyes to see the world around us as you see. That we would see the image of God in those around us as you see that we would reach out and touch as we are built up and edified and changed and, be, and, and made into the living body of Christ, that you would send us out to impact your world, always to your glory. That you would empower us to live into our calling in fresh ways. And we do give you thanks as we ask for your presence and your empowerment in the name of Jesus. Amen.
So some of you almost didn't come today. Some of you are here and you don't know what you'll do next. But hear, hear the voice of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, inviting you into his community of life and love and hope. And if there are specific needs you have, this church has a great history of it being attentive to those. So we invite you to make those known as we stand and sing. Green.